I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone! Get out the tape measure, long gone! Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two, episode 80. The Cubs, they just couldn't finish the race. Don't forget to listen, download, review. Most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W on Twitter, Instagram, and of course on Facebook. Also, you can email us at fly the w670 at gmail.com. Crawley, happy Thursday. How you doing? Uh, doing, doing good, man. You know, just, uh, in, in, enjoying baseball. Uh, this for me is a time of year where I'm working on my man cave. So I just got back from the framer, got some exciting pieces framed. So more stuff is going up. I got all sorts of fun things going on here. Well, I saw on Twitter, you're, uh, you're looking to move a little bit of stuff, huh? Yeah. Man, you know, man cave, uh, yard sale, if you will, or what? Yeah. You know, you just can't keep, I wish, you know, if I would have won that $1 billion lotto, I could keep everything. I, I mean, you got to remember, I've been collecting for like 30 years. So at, at a point in time, everything can't stay. So, yeah, I got some interesting stuff that I'm going to be kind of just tweeting out there at Crawley's Cubs. If people are interested and want to increase their memorabilia collection, my loss is your gain. So, you know, I, I it's uh, I got I got some phenomenal new pieces in, though, and I'm just excited. So, you're like I said, you're going to show them off next week, maybe or what? I could always show some things off. Yeah, absolutely. I got some, like I said, there, there's some pretty, pretty fun stuff here so far. But uh like I said, for me in the offseason, AFL, postseason baseball, Las Ligas, and 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 doing, you know, working on this Cubs cave, which is getting near completion. So having fun. We're gonna have to have a live, uh, we're gonna have to have a live fly the W remote from the uh from the Crawley Man Cave once it's done. Oh, absolutely. There's a All lot right. to see here. <laughs> All right, fantastic. All right, Crawley. We've been uh reviewing the uh 23 Cubs season, and we've got uh one part to go, and unfortunately, that is the September collapse of the Cubs. Yeah, we talked about April and May, and we talked about how awesome June and July was, and August, the best of them all. Well, September wasn't the worst month statistically. That would have been May, but it was the most painful month of the season. I want to wish a happy birthday to Mitch Rosen, the man who gave us the blessing to do this, but I was wondering if Mitch was going to give me hazard pay going through all of this. It was like post-traumatic stress disorder. It was awful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There was... Plenty of buzz as the Cubs ended August with a record of 18 and nine. And on August 26th, the Cubs called up 2021 first round draft pick Jordan Wicks to the majors. And he won his first start of that same day. So first up for the Cubs was a road trip to Cincinnati to take on the uh, Reds in a four game series to start out September Labor Day weekend. The Cubs would play a doubleheader on Friday to make up for the game that was rained up, rained out in April. Top Cubs prospect, Alexander Canario, was called up for the doubleheader, but he didn't get in any of the four games. It'd be a while before he'd get the chance to see him play. Game one went according to plan as Wicks made his second start and pitched five innings, gave up one run. Cody Bellinger, Seiya Suzuki, and Ian Happ all went deep in the Cubs' 6-2 to win. The problem, Dustin, was the nightcap. The Cubs were leading 2-1 to one in the ninth inning with Adbert Alzale on the mound, who had been so good all season. He is going to blow the save. That was his third blown save of the season and his second in a week. Now, the second one really wasn't his fault because it was uh, Lighter who loaded the bases and then he just hit a guy. You know what I mean? There was right. wasn't like 100% him, but this 
this was on Alzali. And so after this blown save, he would not pitch again for another week. He pitched two games in Arizona before finishing the season on the IL with a right forearm strain. And Dustin, you know, we're nervous because usually after, you know, a guy blows a game, you want to get him right back in, you know, right away, kind of get right. the, get the stink off. And the next day the Cubs had that opportunity and they didn't go with them. And I was like, okay, well, that's curious. Then he doesn't pitch for a week. He pitches two games a week later and then he goes on the IL. That was so frustrating because Adbert had such an amazing season. He solidified the closers role. He had seven holds and was 22 out of 25 save opportunities. It's pretty damn good for a guy who you didn't have, uh, you know, big expectations for. No. And again, out of those, you know, he only blew three saves and two of them were right before he went on the IL. So, I mean, the guy was just lights out. Uh, after splitting the first two games of the doubleheader on Friday, the Cubs were leading one nothing behind eight shutout innings by Javier Assad. But this time it was Mark Leiter's turn to blow the save, and the Cubs were walked off for the second game in a row, losing two to one. They would the Cubs would pound the Reds 15 to 7 to split the series before heading home for a three-game set against the Giants. If you remember um, that last week when Jed was talking both before the end of the season and right after the end of the season. He called that series against the Giants one of the best of the season. They pitched well, hit well, ran the bases well. Justin we Justin Steele and Jordan Wicks both had strong starts. And on September 6th, Dustin, the Cubs were 1.5 games back of the Brewers for first place. They had a 92.6% chance of making the postseason. 92.6. That's almost for sure. Yeah, it, it, you, it's it's literally you'd bet the you'd bet the whole farm on that. There's no doubt about it. Um, but then the Arizona Diamondbacks came to Wrigley for a four-game series, and the Cubs hadn't seen the Snakes all season. On Friday, they lost six to two, as Assad and Keegan Thompson both struggled. Uh, the Cubs would lose on Saturday, one nothing, with Tyone, the tough luck loser, and Zach Gallian pitching his first career nine-inning shutout. That was an unbelievable performance. I remember that game. Yeah, the Cubs would lose on Sunday 3-2 to two in extra innings as the D-backs would score 2 in the 10th off Daniel Palencia. The Cubs would salvage the finale 5-2 to two as Mark Grace and Sean Dunstan, two guys, Dustin, that we loved growing up, inducted mm -hmm. into the Cubs Hall of Fame. I was there that day, and, and, and how much fun that was to finally see a victory and, and see those guys. That was just, um, you know... One of the very few last times I was able to be happy at Wrigley Field. Um, then came the road trip from hell. The Cubs <laughs> headed to Colorado to face the last place Rockies, a bunch of weak pitchers. The Cubs called up their number one prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong, to show off his amazing defense in that large outfield in Coors Field. The series was a disaster. In the first game, Wicks pitched well uh, going into the seventh. The Cubs were leading 3-1. But Jose Coas, who was acquired in a trade for Nelson Velasquez, gave up three to the Rockies, and the Cubs were trailing four to three in the ninth before Jan Gomes hit a two-run single in the top of the inning, and the Cubs won that one five to four. But they would lose the next two games, and in a preview of what we would see the entire rest of the month, the games all featured poor bullpen performances, uncharacteristic defensive errors, bad base running, and untimely hitting. After losing two or three to the Rockies, they're going to head to Arizona for a three-game series, and they got swept by the Snakes. In game one, Justin Steele gave up six runs, both Dustin on three-run homers with two outs. Yeah, it was a bad night, a bad day for him to have his uh, real lone, if you will, clunker of the season, right? And, and again, the bad luck, you know, both of those with two outs. Right. And then in game two, that was a particularly brutal game as that went into extra innings and the Cubs scored one run in the 10th, one in the 11th, and one in the 13th. But the Diamondbacks came back each time and they uh, each time the Cubs scored before walking it off in the 13th. The Cubs lost game three as Jordan Wicks had his worst start. Uh, he gave up three runs in the first and they would go on to lose six to two, completing the sweep, uh, the sweep for Arizona. So, you know, you have this abysmal road trip, and now the Cubs are headed home for a three-game set against the Pirates. The Cubs were 9-1 and one against the Pirates at this point in the season, and it looked like the trend would continue when the Cubs took game one 14-1. to one. 
Alexander Canario, who was called up on August 1st and only had one at bat over 17 games, finally got the start. And what did he do? He went two for four with an RBI double, a grand slam. He drove in five runs, Dustin. But guess what? He would not start either of the next two games after. Uh, I didn't didn't understand that at all. Just it's mind blowing to me. Right. And, and not only that, Dustin, not only did he not play the rest of the series, he only, he only played one more complete game where he got all of his at bats on September 30th when the season's basically done. Yep. Um, Canaro was not in the lineup the next day when Justin Steele gave up six runs to the Buccos ending any shot he had at the Cy Young. Mark Leiter also gave up three runs and the Cubs lost 13 to seven. The rubber match was not close. In the end, the bullpens gave up one in the seventh, two in the eighth, three in the ninth. The Cubs would lose eight to six. Pittsburgh takes the series. David Ross got into a little trouble in a post-game interview when he made honest comments about how the Pirates were a bad team that the Cubs should not have lost to. Right. And they did. Yep, and they did. They did indeed. That was really disappointing. It was it was one of those was it a nine was it nine games at home I think and I think we thought they could only lose two and be okay so they've already lost the two right and, and and you know and then all of a sudden you had the Rockies come in they the Cubs had now lost four series in a row since that San Francisco series and uh you know they're going to sit there and they're going to sweep the Rockies took care of business um, and that was the final weekend of games at Wrigley Field. There would be no more games after Wrigley. So the first two games were, were blowouts that the Cubs won against Colorado, and the last game was close. Patrick Wisdom hit a two-run homer in the sixth that gave the Cubs the f- uh, four-to-three win, and we all got to say goodbye to Wrigley. The Cubs, though, were still in a wild-card spot to uh, start the last week of the season. Philly, by that point, had the first wild-card spot. But Arizona, the Marlins, the Reds, and the Cubs were all fighting for the final two wildcard spots. After giving up six runs in his last two starts, Justin Steele got the ball against the Atlanta Braves. Uh, The Cubs offense gave the Cubs a 6-0 lead going into the top of the six. But after that top of the six, the Braves start to come back. They scored three in the six, two in the seventh. And then with runners at second and third and two outs in the eighth inning, Drew Smiley threw a pitch to Sean Murphy, who hit a slicing ball to Seiya Suzuki, who lost the ball in the lights. It allowed the two runs to score, and the Braves, down 6-0, would come from behind to win this one 7-6. Everyone's always going to remember that one when it comes to the collapse. I'm, I'm hoping that by kind of going over some of these people realize it wasn't just that. But that one, Dustin, that one was one that was just so extra painful because it was right there. And 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 I don't know if they would have won it in the ninth inning. We were talking about bullpen woes, right? But right. but that was just it's just so devastating, you know. And and you just didn't want it to happen to Saya. He's such a nice guy. He takes these things so hard. It was it was so frustrating, especially since he was doing so well in August and September after he was benched for four games. Yeah, it was a low blow, kick below the belt, whatever term you want to use. Obviously, you're right. He carried the team offensively the couple of days off that uh, manager David Ross gave him obviously helped out quite a bit. And uh, it was, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty devastating. It made me really uh, dislike the Braves even more. And I was happy that the Braves were eliminated in the postseason. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, the Cubs once again had a lead uh, lead. They were going, they had a three to one lead going into the seventh against the Braves but the Braves scored one in the seventh and one in the eighth to tie the game. The Cubs scored one in the ninth to take a four to three lead, but they couldn't hold on. Arizona or Atlanta scores one in the bottom of the ninth. The Cubs score one in the 10th and they couldn't hold on to that either. Ronald Acuna hit an RBI single. The Manford man scores to tie the game at five. Then he steals his 70th base to become the first ever 40 home run, 70 RBI guy. And in the middle of an extra inning game in a, in a wild card race, they stopped the game to play a video montage. And then Ozzy Albies, the next batter, once the little montage and everything's over, hits a walk-off single to give the Braves a 6-5 to five victory. So that's another game that the Cubs had multiple opportunities to win and just couldn't. And again, you know what? I was irritated about the montage after it happened. But after 
after he sat there and he took all the adulation to get to all the love from the fans. And then when he lost to the Phillies and then ran into the bus and high and hid, I lost all respect for that guy. Forget it. Yeah. But I, I can't blame it all on him. I mean, the, the organization was obviously involved, right? I mean, he, mm-hmm. you know, he did, he didn't put the montage together. I'm guessing he didn't, he didn't say, okay, you know, and he, he took that base out. Like somebody was going to come run on the field and steal it away from him. I mean, I've never seen a guy rip a base out like that. It was, it was, it was wild. It was ab- absolutely wild. And there's no doubt. It's no doubt that it could have thrown off the Cubs pitcher at that point. Right. Well, the Cubs had now lost two out of three. And then Marcus Stroman made his second start since coming off the IL. He was tagged for four runs and in two innings. The Cubs never came close in that one. They swept the series. The Cubs postseason chances were still alive, limping into the last series of the season against the Brewers. Now they needed some help if they were going to have a legitimate chance to make the postseason. But all that talk ended on Friday night. The Cubs were down 3-0 to Milwaukee, but scored two in the eighth. Ian Happ hit a solo home run in the ninth. But the Cubs couldn't score against the rookie making his debut in the tenth, and Carlos Santana would walk it out with a single. The Cubs would lose 4-3. to Dustin, it was so frustrating because... Milwaukee kept their lineup pretty much intact, but all the pitchers that they pitched that night were garbage. They were handing that to the Cubs, and the Cubs' offense couldn't they do couldn't anything. Couldn't take advantage of it, right? They couldn't could, couldn't take advantage of it. I mean, the only good news there is that the uh, just like the Braves, that the uh, Brewers were quickly uh, dismantled and uh, kicked out of the postseason. They only ended up playing three more games than the Cubs. So, congratulations, Brewers! Right. And then, you know, the Cubs would win the next night 10 to 6, but it didn't matter as they were eliminated when the Marlins beat the Pirates to punch their ticket to the postseason. The Cubs lost the last game of the season, letting a bunch of rookies and guys that are probably not going to be back this season uh, start. Justin Steele got the scratch. They went for a bullpen game. And that was the season. The Cubs finished with a record of 83 and 79, second behind the Brewers, but nine games back. After sweeping the Giants on September 6th, we talked about this 12 games over 500. That was the high point of the season. After that game, the Cubs went 7-15 and 15 and lost six of the last seven series. Oh, gosh. If you, just, if you just don't lose, if you lose maybe four of the last seven, you're in the postseason. Right. And, and, and you look here, a lot of things went wrong. But, I mean, basically, Dustin, they went from, you know – 10 under to 12 over, but in doing so they had their pedal on the gas for a long time and they just ran out of gas for the month of September. Cody Bellinger, who had hitting like 370, 400 all season was hitting 275. Mike Talkman hit 258 for the month of September. Jan Gomes, 233. How about Nico? 219 in September. And then the lowest Dansby Swanson hitting 0.162 in the month of September. Yeah, he's going to have to take some days off next year. He's going to have to take some days off next year. I I, I, I like that he thinks you got to play every day, but the, the playing every day did not do him a whole hell of a lot of good. And when you're um, getting the kind of money he's getting and batting where he's batting, you can't bat 162. And, and, and again, I, I the frustration I had is that, you know, you had a guy that you were playing every day in Christopher Morrell anyway, Okay, give Dansby the day off. Nico, you go to short. Chris takes second. Okay, uh, you know, uh, you know, Nico, you take the day off. Morel plays second. You had everything you could have done. And and again, why Canario never got we never got to see what the guy could do or even try to get PCA going. It wasn't like Talkman was doing much anything. It just it never made any sense to me. Um, pitching wise, you had Strowman started two games with an ERA of nine. Justin Steele started two games with an ERA of 9.72, and Jordan Wicks started two games with an ERA of 10.57 at the end. Uh, You know, none of that. I mean, like I said, Steele probably was out of gas at that point. Marcus was injured. And, uh, you know, I think we saw that yesterday, if you were watching the NL ALCS, when you have a guy coming in like uh, Max Scherzer, Yep. Who was who was injured and 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 now he's coming back. You don't have a triple A to ramp up. These guys have all been playing. All these hitters have been playing. You know, uh, you know, like postseason baseball. And all of a sudden, you come in and you got rust on you. You're just going to get hit around. Yep. And that's what happened there. Uh, Jordan Wicks. I mean, he did a lot for them, and that was a lot to expect out of a 2021 draft pick to come in and get thrown right in that middle of that pennant chase. Another guy throwing more than he'd ever thrown before. And then you had Boxberger, uh, Fulmer, and Alzelay all injured. We're going to have some news about Fulmer later. 
Mark Leiter lost the, his uh, fourth ball. That was his out pitch, and that's what made him effective against righties and lefties. And he was useless. And basically, Ross had to rely on Jose Quas, Julian Merriweather, Daniel Palencia, and Drew Smiley nearly every single day. Those guys had to have been completely burned out. And, and that's why the Cubs ended up where they did. It was a, a fun season, and it just stinks that the last memories that we have of them aren't that pleasant because September was just brutal. Yeah, September was brutal, but uh, as they say, uh, come uh, March, they'll uh, sing the national anthem in uh, early April over at Wrigley Field, and it'll be a whole new opportunity. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 80. The Cubs couldn't finish the race in this segment. Crawley interviews Jim Callis, senior writer from MLB Pipeline, to talk Cubs prospects in the AFL, also known as the Arizona Fall League. Joining me on the fly, the W podcast, Cub fans, you recognize him from Marquee Network, uh, The Road to Wrigley. He is the senior writer for MLB Pipeline. Jim Callis, how are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great, man. I'm, 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 in, you know, enjoying this Arizona fall ball, you know, and, and, and watching the postseason. You know, for me, there's never enough baseball. I don't, I don't care about other sports. So, <laughs> I, it, to me, it gives me something to watch and enjoy. So, that's what I'm doing, you know. And I'm sure you're watching plenty of fall ball as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's funny. Like I was spot. I was out there for the first week of the season, and I enjoy. I'll go back for the the fall stars game and the championship game and the last week the regular season in between but i always enjoy being there in october watching arizona folly games and while i'm watching arizona folly games i'm also watching whether it's on my phone or my computer or whatever the playoff games going on at the same time so like you're right it, it, there is a lot going on but uh you know I, I tell people all the time arizona fall league it's the it's the best like my two favorite events are the arizona fall league the college world series and just think of all the best parts of spring training without any of the, the less best parts. You don't have to fight for parking. You don't have to pay a lot for tickets. Like you have the run of the ballpark. It, the Arizona Fall League is just tremendous. I, I, I love it every year. Yeah, and for our listeners that don't know, it's it started on October 2nd, and it runs through November 9th. And what happens is all 30 teams in baseball send some of their top prospects to Arizona to play on one of six uh, teams. Now, Jim, maybe you could tell our listeners what goes in the decision process of which prospects they're going to send to the AFL. So like, for example, you know, why would say you take, you know, James Triantos over say Matt Shaw? Um, I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go in for pit. Like the hitters usually stand out more than the pitchers because if you stay healthy as a pitcher, you probably hit your innings limit during the years and they're not going to send, you know, Kate Horton pitched the 80 or 90 innings the Cubs wanted to pitch. So they're not going to send him there. Um, you know, for position players, you know, I think honestly part of it might have been, and I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, with Triantos versus Shaw. Triantos missed the beginning of the year with the meniscus. Shaw was obviously playing in Maryland. He hadn't been drafted yet. Came in, played a lot. When you when you factor in how long the minor league season goes with the college season, Matt Shaw's probably already played more games this year than he's probably played in just about his whole life, certainly at a higher level. And whereas Triantos missed, you know, I think can't remember it was four or six weeks at the beginning of the season. So you, you're, you're making up for lost at bat. I mean, you, you see a lot of the same theme, same themes. You see guys making up for lost time. I mean, the Cubs hitters, you got Alcantara who missed time during the season. You have Christian Franklin who missed all last year. So you see that 
Um, you see guys there to work on specific things. The pitchers tend to be more of a random lot. Um, a lot of the teams, it's crazy because every team you mentioned, Paul, there's five major league organizations that feed every Arizona Folly team. And the Cubs are always in Mesa because their training base is in Mesa and they play at Slum Park. Um, but in the past, every team sent four pitchers. So that would be 20 pitchers. And we still ran out of pitchers at times last year. Like the pitchers are usually on a very set schedule. It's not like the manager's like, oh, who am I going to bring in? I got this 20-man bullpen. It's like these pitchers are pitching on this day and these pitchers are pitching on the next day and so on. But so this year, every team sent five pitchers. And it's generally, you know, if there's five teams, you're playing six games most weeks. Every team sends a starter. One team will send two. And then there's a bunch of usually pretty random relief pitchers um, as well. Right. And, 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 you know, like you said, the solar socks are in Mesa, which, you know, anyone that's been out to, you know, go see, go to Sloan park. It's just such a beautiful facility, but what does an average day look like for a prospect while they're in the AFL? Um, I think it's somewhat relaxing. I mean, it's, it's pretty hot at the beginning of the season. It starts to cool off. Um, but you know, they, they switched the game times, like game times in the past were either 1230 or 630. And then I guess the big league clubs, in general, like, you know what, that's a pretty quick turnaround, you know, if you're getting out of the ballpark, you know, especially if you're on the road and you have to drive back to your place. Um, so now it's 2.30 and 6.30 uh, are, are the game times. You play one game a week. Yeah, it's, it's not very taxing because nobody really plays every day. Like even, you know, like, like you'll have guys who are kind of the priority players in specific position, and that plays into it too. Like the Cubs can't just say, hey, we want players A, B, and C to come, and they're going to hit third, fifth, and seventh in the lineup and play these positions. You got to make five teams happy. So the teams kind of divide up who gets what priority at what position type of thing. And so you'll have guys like Triantos who are playing uh, four days a week, usually out of six. Um, the catchers, usually you have three catchers on a roster. They play, they pretty much divide it up. Everybody plays two games. Like I said, the pitchers are kind of on a schedule. Carter Trice is there. I, I think he's still there, who they drafted this year out of NC State. But he's only played once or twice. I don't know if, if they officially have taxi squads going. But they have they they have some players who only play are only officially in the roster like Wednesdays and Saturdays. But um, you know, and you'll take infield and BP, but not every day. So, you know, I don't. I mean, I guess it depends on your manager. But like, you, it, it's not a very taxing day. It, it you know, I mean, you're not going to be in the lineup. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these guys would. I mean, what hand they're tired, but a lot of these guys would like to play every day. But you're not you're not grinding out like you are in the minor leagues. Like you're, you know, you at most, you know, there might be an, like Nelson Velasquez when he was on the Cubs a couple of years ago. Mesa had some outfield injuries, so Nelson Velasquez was playing like every day. Um, but most guys like will max out around 20 games in a in a five week schedule. Nice. And, and, you know, it was, it wasn't the greatest start for the solar Sox so far, but uh, Mesa did have an exciting 10 to eight come from behind victory last night. And they were led by two of the Cubs top prospects in the AFL. Let's start first with James Triantos. He went four for six with three RBIs and has been one of the best hitters in the AFL. Got a 455 average, 1.359 OPS, six extra base hits and 11 RBIs. He looks locked in. And I think sometimes Triantos gets lost in the shelf a little bit because he came right out of high school and he was so young, but you know, to see his development from Myrtle beach to South bend and now in the AFL, he's a player. I think that that cup fans should get really excited about. He's really intriguing. I think there's a lot of upside there and there's also some question marks with him too. Um, and I think you're right. I think, do think he gets lost in the shuffle behind guys like PCA and Kate Horton and, and Alcantara who's out there as well. And on one hand, I think, Probably, if you look at the whole cup system, the two guys with the best bat-to-ball skills are Triantos and Moises Ballesteros. Like, he can just hit. I want to say, I think I saw him play twice when I was out in Arizona the first week, and he had four or five hits in the two games. The, the guy just really, really hits. I think the two questions with him, and they could go, I mean, there's a wide range of possibilities, are A, how much power is he going to have, and B, where is he going to play defensively? He does need to get stronger. Um, he is hitting the ball harder. I do think he's really a gifted hitter. I do think more power will come than he has shown. But as you mentioned, he's really young. He, you know, reclassified. So when they drafted him in the second round in 21, if he hadn't reclassified, which he did with the intent of going to North Carolina, University of North Carolina and playing a year early, he would have been a 2022 draftee. Like he's really young 
for his experience level in pro ball. Um, I think the bigger question, and the power does play into how well he's going to profile, is where do you play him on the diamond? He played third base in 2022, Paul, and he was not very good. I mean, I had pro scouts in our organization just killing him, saying he looked terrible at third base. So he's played second base most of this year. One of the games I saw him, he looked awful. Like he made like three bad plays at second base where he failed to execute plays properly. They weren't all errors. He did not look good. Like the game, I saw him game of Mason. I saw him on the road, maybe at Salt River. I can't remember. Maybe I was at Mesa twice. I don't know. It all, it all runs together. But anyway, like, so and I'm not going to bury a guy on one look because I realized I, I may have saw him on a bad day, but he did not look good at second base one of the days I saw him. I mean, he looked notably, noticeably not good. And he also didn't run the bases real well. It was weird. It, it was it was not the best look at him from a non-hitting perspective. They've played him some in center field. Like during the season, I don't know that I really think he's quick enough to be a center fielder. And it's kind of a moot point. Because you have PCA, like he's he's not gonna play center field for the Cubs because they have Pete Crow Armstrong, and even if he stays in the infield, even if he gets better defensively at second, you've got Swanson at short, you've got Nico Horner at second, you got Matt Shaw who you mentioned coming, who's either gonna wind up at third or maybe he goes to second. Nico goes over to third. Like even if he improves, I don't think he's dislodging any of those players from those positions. So I think he might wind up as a left fielder in the long run in which case he is going to have to hit for more power. But all that said, I do like him a lot. I do think he flies under the radar. If you told me that he busted out next year and emerged as one of the best pure hitters in minor league baseball and a top 100 prospect, I could, I could certainly see that. I mean, he can he can really, really hit. And he's I mean, he's got to be what? Like, is he 20 now? Tops? Yeah, he's like 20, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not even sure he's 20. He might be 19, but he, maybe he did He did turn 20 recently. But, yeah, I mean, he's just so young. So I, I, th- I think better days are, are ahead for James Triantos. Now, again, not flying under the radar is Kevin Alcantara, who went two for four with four RBIs last night. He hit the walk-off home run for the Solar Sox. He started off a little bit slow, but he is picking it up in the last week or so. Uh, what, do you, what are your initial thoughts on, on Alcantara, Alcantara? Because, I mean – he just, he looks so wiry. He reminds me a little bit of like, I don't know. I, I keep thinking of like Alfonso Soriano or something yeah. as far as his body type. He, he is wiry. And it's funny. He's kind of like the international version of Triantos. Cause when the Yankees signed him back then pre-pandemic, July two was the day players were eligible to sign. And he wasn't, you had to be 16. He didn't turn 16 till mid July. So he signed in 2018. So this is his sixth year in pro ball. And he's 21 years old, like, you know, age 21 season. He turned 22 in mid-July. But, like, if you look at baseball, you know, everybody considers, you know, July 1, the midpoint, baseball age. He's 21. And, and so he's been around for a 6'6", listed at 188. And, you know, maybe he's put on a little weight. But, I mean, that looks, like you said, accurate. I mean, he's still very lean. And he's just, like, so athletic and, and kind of graceful looking. And he could have solid tools across the board. And, I mean, I've said this a few times on the marquee broadcast, Pete Crow Armstrong is a better prospect than Kevin Alcantara, but Alcantara might have a higher ceiling. Like, I don't know that he's necessarily going to get all the way there. Not every player gets all the way to his ceiling, but I think he's got more power. I think he's pretty much as quick as PCA um, and a chance to be a comparable hitter. So I think he's got a higher offensive ceiling than PCA. And it's just, again, I keep, I did our Yankees list before and I do our Cubs list. So I've had him on my lists forever. And it feels like, man, this guy's been around forever. And like I said, he has, he's been on either our Yankees or our Cubs list for six years. And he's still with seasonal age 21 this year. So, you know, he had some, I think it was leg injuries. If I remember correctly, I missed some time during the regular season. So They're just making up for some lost time. And I assume we'll see both him and Triantos in double a to start next season would be the, I think the logical assumption on those guys. And, and you know, roughly the, the pitching isn't hitting's ahead of the pitching, but roughly I think people consider the AFL comparable to double a baseball, like roughly in terms of level of play. And since both Alcantara and, and Triantos, I think they both played briefly in double a, but not a lot. It's getting a little more exposure to that quality of pitching heading into next year. You're talk, you're, you know, you're talking about the pitching. You know, the Cubs have a couple pitchers out there, Chris Karchmer and Adam Lasky and Jose Romero and Tyler Santana. 
Is there any one of those guys that really kind of stand out to you as far as just kind of really having some good stuff that maybe Cub fans wouldn't be very familiar with, but have breakout potential? Uh, yeah, I mean, another guy like like I said, not nobody. There aren't that many top pro- pitching prospects in the league. Like, there's two guys on our overall top 100 prospects list who are in the league, and that pitching wise, and that's Jackson Job of the Tigers and Ricky Tiedemann of the Blue Jays. And both those guys had injury. Like, you have to thread this like an even finer line with the pitchers where they were hurt. But it wasn't so serious that they're back and healthy and ready to pitch in the fall league, which is both those guys. I think the Cubs' best pitching prospect in the AFL is probably Jose Romero. Like he, you know, he, I mean, he's a guy who I didn't know a lot about before he we went to AFL. He, I think, he signed for ten thousand dollars out of Venezuela, um, and he's he's not, you know, he he's a reliever. It's ninety three, ninety five. It's a solid slider. He had a pretty good year in, in, in single A this year, but he's not super close to the big leagues. But he's he's probably the best of their their five arms they have out there in Arizona. Nice. Now, you know, the AFL is always a place where they start to kind of mess around and tinker with the rules. And and this year's no exception. They are going to have some rule changes coming. One of the things is, is they're obviously playing with the pitch clock still. That's something. But but to me, like it looks like they're they're shaving some time. Is that right? I want to say I'm, I'm going to look this up on my computer as we talk here. I, I, so I, don't have, I want to say it's 18 seconds with no, with runners on base and 15 seconds with the bases empty. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, I, yeah. All and, right. so, and they played around with it, I guess in the, in the minor leagues over the last two or three years. And yeah, I mean, you know, everybody call like there's a fall league has a million nicknames, but one of them is like baseball's fishing school, but it's also like baseball's laboratory too. Like they've all, they've tested stuff. ABS, you know, which we're going to see at some point in, in the big leagues. They've tested that there. They've tested pre-tacked balls there. I don't know if we're going to get that in the big leagues. They've they tested instant replay there before they used it. Um, they, they test everything there. But yeah, they they I think they're trying to find this like like as much as everybody loves the, the pitch clock this year, and I think it's been a pretty universal success. I think if they could even tighten it up like you said paul and shave even a little more time off the games people like that and and i'll say again it's when you go to games out there it's not noticeable even the 18 second 15 15 seconds without running on base that seems quick guys just get used to it like when, when everybody was kind of gnashing their teeth oh pitch clock this is gonna be terrible players hate it pitch clock they've been using the fall league forever and and every year it'd be the same thing before they used it in the minors Take guys like a week. You have a few pitch clock violations first week, and then everybody got used to it. I remember, I mean, this was a while ago. Carl Crawford was inducted into the Arizona Fall League Hall of Fame, and we had him on a broadcast. And I think they must have been t- testing instant replay because it was a year we were doing a lot of broadcasts, and you obviously have to have cameras there to do <laughs> instant replay. And Carl Crawford was in the booth, and it was funny. Sometimes, Paul, when you get a guy in the booth, like a guest in the booth during the game, like the inning goes real quick, and you're like, man, like we barely got to talk to him. <laughs> this was the opposite. We had a long inning, and Carl Crawford was probably like thinking that one of these guys are going to let me out of here. But we we talked about the pitch clock, and Carl Crawford, who had never seen the pitch clock before, thought it was the best thing in the world. He's like, "This is great. We need this in the big leagues now." This was, it might have been six, seven years ago. It was a long time ago, but um, yeah. I, so they'll 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 play with it. Um, like I said, it's fifteen, eighteen, and if they, I, what is it, fifteen twenty in the big leagues? Is that fifteen twenty? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think they're trying to see if, like, hey, if 18 seems like it works okay, then we might try 18 in the big leagues with runners on base. It's funny. I'm part of a charitable group called Club 400, and we had Joe Madden out for an event for Special Olympics to raise some money. And, uh, you know, we, you know, he was asked about the rule changes, and he said, at first, I did not want the pitch clock. Now I think it's the best thing, but I'd still get rid of all the other new rules. Um, you know, I don't disagree with a lot of that. Like, like. The, the thing about the pitch clock, too, is that, I mean, it's it's tweaked, but, like, there was a rule on the books forever that you had to deliver a pitch within 20 seconds. So, essentially, the pitch clock is basically enforcing the rules in the book. It wasn't like, I mean, that rule just got out of hand. I I, I still despise the runner on second base. I, I hate that rule. I, I It's the amount of games that went past 11 innings at the big league level are so – like, like, look, the minor leagues is developmental. If you want to do whatever or call games a tie after 11 innings, the minor league's fine. 
I, I hate the runner on second base rule. I, I will never like it. I think it's a terrible way to decide games. And I just think it sends a message that like, like, like last time I checked Paul, like when you go to a big league game, are you forced to stay at the game the whole game? Is anybody compelling you to stay there? Like if, if you've decided you've had enough baseball, you can leave, you can leave the game. We don't need to gimmick it up. Like we've kept it out of the postseason. I hope that remains, but it's not like we have this slew of 15 in games. And uh, now you got me going on a rant, <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, it's, but it's, 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 okay. it's, it's, we've introduced this rule, Paul, I still seem to see a lot of position players pitching. Even though we have 13 pitchers on every roster, this hasn't eradicated the travesty of pitchers, uh, position players pitching. So I, I don't even think the rule really does that much. Like, so anyway, but um, I, I don't disagree with Joe Madden. I was going to ask you about this blocking bases was something that I was kind of looking at too. I mean, we know the rule as far as catchers concerned, but now it's looking like uh, no base blocking on the other bases as well. Yeah, they're and like I'll be honest, like I mean, I, I I didn't see the week I was I didn't see that called. Like I saw and I wasn't necessarily watching. Say, oh, like are the infielders really giving the runner a lane to second base on the steal? But yeah, I like the idea is that you can't, you know, much like it, it's similar, I guess, to what they have at the plate, where you have to give the runner a lane to the plate. You theoretically have to give a runner a lane to the bit. You can't just put your knee down in front of the bag and make the guy slide into you and then try to find his way onto the base. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, Jim, and I think know, that's good for safety too, because with all the head first slides, I think it's, it's, or even feet first awkward slides. It, it theoretically prevents injuries. I, I don't have a problem with that one. That, that, that's, that, I think it's, but like I said, I haven't, I haven't, I'm not going to talk to every player, but nobody was really talking about it. And I haven't noticed it well, while watching a game. I didn't notice anything like, Oh geez, it looks like the guy's out of the way of the base. It just seems like that part seems baseball is normal. Right. And, and, you know, for anyone that's interested in the AFL and watching it, if you are a subscriber to the MLB Network, they do have some games and they'll definitely have the Home Run Derby on Saturday, November 4th, and the Fall Stars game, the All-Star game version of the AFL on Sunday, November 5th at uh, 5 p.m. Central Time. And, you know, Jim, you know, we're right, Paul, the let me throw in one thing real quick. I was going to say, yeah. a lot of the games are streaming. If you just go to our, our website at uh, MLB Pipeline, or the Fall League's website, they have Pixelot cameras. And I don't know if they're streaming every game, but they're streaming a lot of the games. And they have announcers at them, like uh, sometimes two. I don't think they ever do three games a day. But, they, but they're streaming a lot of games. So even aside from MLB Network, if you like, especially once the postseason ends, if you're like, oh, my God, I need some baseball, or we have an off day, like we had two off days between the, the division series and the, and the championship series, you could find baseball on there. So, and then that, that part's free too. Yeah, it's, that, that, that is amazing. And, you know, Jim, you know, I was talking to you before we, we jumped on this and I was telling you one of my favorite things to do, I'm a big, you know, I'm watching Marquee 24 seven at my house and, uh, you know, the road to Wrigley, you know, with you and Lance Brodzdowski and Elise Medeker, I mean, I didn't know what to expect and it is really I feel like it's given me more love for the minor league system, just keeps me more attuned to what's going on. How fun is it to do that show where you have that whip around style and everything's just kind of going crazy and you're focusing in on certain at bats. Yeah. Now that show is so much fun. I think it was a brainchild of a producer named Mike Norman. And I'm, I'm amazed that, that nobody had done it before. Nobody's done it since. I mean, the Cubs are winning now, but when they started it in 2022, they were going through a rebuilding phase and you know, the Cubs are fortunate. All four of their minor league affiliates televise their games. And so it's just been, most nights. I mean, we sometimes I'm at the draft or Elise is doing something. I think Lance, I don't know if Lance has missed one yet. Like Ryan Sweeney will pinch hit or we'll have different people fill in. But usually it's me and Lance and Elise. And we just like it's so much fun to just sit there. And we have four, usually it's four minor league games going on simultaneously. And we're trying to keep track of what's going on in all of them. The producers do a great job of keeping us up with that. And we talk about the games and we talk about players and we talk about things going on in the Cubs system and when guys might be up. And it's funny because I like to over-prepare, Paul. I like to have all kinds of stuff. I'm ready to talk. And a lot of times during the year, uh, we wind up, like, I'm really big, like, we'll be doing the draft or something. I'll be really, really, really swamped. And I'll be like, man, I'm so busy. So I don't prepare as much as I want. I'll get there. I'm like, oh, man, I hope I have enough stuff to talk about. And so, like, we usually start, you know, at, at, you know, whatever. We'll be like 10 minutes in, I'll look at the clock. I'll be like, okay, hour, 15 minutes to go. 
And they'll look up and it'll be like five minutes to go. And I'll be like, we've been talking for like an hour, 45 minutes straight. Like how the have this happen? <laughs> That's what I love about it. Now, obviously there's some talk swirling as there always are Pete Alonzo and Juan Soto. If you were to give me five prospects that you say, no way should the Cubs even think about getting rid of these guys, who would you say would be your top five that you just could not get rid of? Well, <laughs> I will preface this with saying, I don't think anybody should ever be untouchable because you could always come up with a trade. Like if I tell you, the PCA is untouchable and somebody wants to come give you Gunnar Henderson and Adley Rutschman for Pete Crow Armstrong and Kate Horton. Those guys aren't untouchable anymore. So like, I, I the Orioles wouldn't do that, but like, so I don't ever feel like anybody's untouchable. There, there's always just like everybody has their price. There's always some trade that you'd be willing to part with. But like, I mean, if you look at their system, I think the, the three, the three guys, there's three guys who jump out to me the most. Pete Crow Armstrong, who I think we'll see in center field at some point. I just think he's so good defensively. We saw a brief taste of that in the big leagues. And he's going to be one of the best defense players in the big leagues. And I think he he's going to hit. And I just think he's got dynamic personality. Like he's going to be – like right now I feel like Dansby Swanson's kind of like got his finger on the pulse of the clubhouse. Or, you know, he's kind of like – and Dansby – love Dansby Swanson, loved him since college. He's more kind of a – not reserved, but like more kind of cool. Where Pete Crow's fiery, Pete Crow Armstrong's fiery, and I think he's going to be the the guy who's like constant highlights. I, I saw him, Kate Horton, who I think I've been driving the Kate Horton bandwagon since they drafted him. Kate Horton's going to make an impact on the Cubs next year, and then the third guy would be Owen Casey, who they got in the Darvish trade, and I, and I think Owen Casey might be the best power hitting prospect in the minor leagues. Like, like he hits the ball so hard at such a young age, succeeding double eight, age 21. He's got a chance to be special. And I do like their farm system and it's good farm system, but they have, but I just rattled off two outfielders. So like if there was a trade they could make that would help the club and they had to give up Alcantara, I could do that. I like Ben Brown, but I, I also think there's a non-zero chance that Ben Brown, who's one of their best pitching prospects might be a reliever. So in the right trade, I could part with Ben Brown. You know, Matt Shaw, I really do like Matt Shaw a lot. You know, we talked about Triantos. I think both those guys can really hit, but there's only so many infield spots. So, like, again, in the right trade, you know, Moises Ballesteros, is he catcher? If he's not, there's a difference in his value there. So, I don't know, the, the, the fourth guy, if I was ranking him, the, like, even though I have him number nine on our midseason Cubs list, the fourth most untouchable guy to me might be Jackson Ferris. I think Jackson Ferris has a chance to be really good, but I'd also say the pitching prospects are so volatile. But again, in the right trade, if, if I had to part with Jackson Ferris, but I was getting somebody I knew was going to improve the team, and, you know, I mean, I wouldn't just give him away, but, like, let's say you could get a young, big league, ready pitcher. I, I You know, I, I could part with him in the right trade. So, I, I to me, the three guys you wouldn't want to part with would be PCA, Kate Horton, and Owen Casey. But I could probably be talking to other guys in the right in the right deal. <laughs> love it jim where, where can where can our listeners find your work um online and through social media yeah so online where i'm at mlb.com and mlb pipeline which is an offshoot of mlb.com and the plug i always say for our site the great thing is it's free none of it's behind a paywall so all of our scouting reports all of our rankings all of our videos none of it's behind a paywall i mean obviously we work for mlb.com mlb.com is trying to spread the gospel of base, baseball so you can read all the stuff there. And then I usually try to uh, – I don't even know what the verb is anymore. I'm going to say tweet. I still don't try to tweet, tweet anytime I do something um, at Jim Callis MLB. Um, and, you know, we do – like we're recording this. Uh, this week I've got MLB's Pipelines Inbox, which is kind of like a reader mailbag type of thing. So I solicit questions and I answer them on our website. But, um, yeah, those are probably the two – it's off season, so you won't catch me on marquee probably until until the spring. Well, we look forward to it, Jim, and thank you so much for jumping on and taking some time with us today. No, no, it's like it's, I love talking prospects. I love talking fall league. So anytime, Paul, it's a lot of fun. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. We are now, Crowley, entering into a little uh, uh, CS recap, right? We've got the ALCS, the LCS going on. We've also got some uh, good news for some Cubs looking to uh, collect some uh, season hardware. Yeah, awards are starting to come up all over the place. Um, Rawlings announced the Gold Glove nominees for 2023, and three Cubs will be up for the awards. Now, there's a lot of factors that everybody looks at when they do this. For me, the two things I look at are outs above average by Baseball Savant and defensive run saves or DRS by Fangraphs. Uh, Outs above average is a range-based metric of skill that shows how many outs a player has saved. So how much range, you know? does a particular defender have? And then when, when you talk about a DRS that quantifies a player's entire defensive por- performance by attempting to measure how many runs they saved, it takes account errors, range, outfield arm and double playability, all of those things. Dansby Swanson has been nominated for a third time, leading all shortstops in defensive runs saved with 18. He led the entire majors in outs above average with 20. So Dansby, to me, was not only one of the best shortstops defensively, he was one of the best defenders in all of baseball, okay? The other finalists are Francisco Lindor of the Mets and Ezekiel Tovar from the Rockies. Swanson won the award in 2022 when he was with the Braves. Dustin, I got to have it. To me, that's that's an easy bet that that Dansby takes this one. Yeah, I think it uh, points that way. But remember, you know, the Cubs had a 92.5% chance to make the postseason. So you just never know. Yeah, I mean, and, and he didn't have he, different, he had a couple different, of, of course, but had, yeah, he had a couple errors in September. But I mean, this is yep. so this is so much defensive metric based that, uh, you know, I'm thinking that you, there's no way you can kind of discount that. It's not like the MVP where if you're on a last place team versus a first place team, right, right. Those Good things point. kind of factor. So we'll see what happens. Uh, another Cub nominated was Nico Horner. Dustin, you and I both thought there was a strong chance that he, he would win the Golden Glove at the beginning of the season. Nico led the majors in assists with 411. He ranked second among NL second baseman with 11 DRS defensive run saves. As far as outs above average, he's fifth with 14, but he's only behind Thyro Estrada and Byron Stott in the NL. He does have tough competition going up against Bryson Stott of the Phillies and Hasung Kim of the Padres. Nico has never won a gold glove, so I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, but I, I, Bryson Stott's really good too, Dustin. It's it's going to be a tough one. I think it's a two-man race, but uh, hopefully we'll see. I mean, maybe the fact that the Phillies got to where the Cubs wanted to be, maybe that's going to end up being part of it, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, the third Cubs nominee, Dustin, was a shocker. Yes, Ian I agree. Ha- I, I did not see that coming. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Ian I knew it ha- wasn't going to be, say, a Suzuki. No, Ian, who won the Gold Glove in 2022, is nominated for a Gold Glove for his work in left field. He did have a career high, 12 outfield assists, great. But Dustin, he was ranked 30th in outs above average with negative seven, and seventh in the NL with defensive run saves with two. I went on, I went to look at, at last year's number when he won. When he won, he was fourth in outs above average. This year, he was 30th, yeah. and he was first in defensive runs saved among la- left fielders with 13 where this year he wasn't even, you know, not even close. I mean, I, I don't understand what they were looking that, like at on that. I it mean, do they have bizarre. to bring the guy back? I mean, is there some rule that you got to bring the guy back that won it the year before or something? I mean, that that's what it seems like. No, uh, it feels that way, but uh, boy, it really is. Is again, if I'm Christian Yelich, I'm, 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 and I don't like Christian Yelich the person or whatever, but. I would be, I would have some issue with this, but you know, oh well, we'll see what happens, and maybe, maybe Ian has it. Um, one thing though, if you look there, Dustin, Cody Bellinger was not on the Gold Glove list at all, and I think. Oh, don't tell Scotty Boris that. I think the fact that he played both center and first affected him. So is he a Golden Glove? You know, but they also have a new category for utility, because if you remember, ah, like. Okay. 
You remember in 2019, like Javi Baez was playing short, second, third, and everywhere he played. So like a lot of this is based on the number of games you played as well. So I don't understand okay. how he could be gold glove caliber in both center and first base. Okay. I see. I can understand the logic if you want to say, okay, well, he didn't play primarily center and he didn't play primarily first. So not putting in those categories, but that's why you have the utility category. I, I, I'm having a hard time struggling why he wouldn't have been nominated in, in that one. Yeah, that one's not crystal clear. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I guess we'll wait and see. But, I mean, there's I, I would be – I mean, I, there's no chance he could even finish higher than third. I'd be shocked. Yeah, so 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 we'll see what happens. But uh, in addition to the Rowling's Gold Glove, several Cubs were nominated for Players' Choice Awards. The Player Choice Awards are an especially distinguished honor for players as they are chosen through a vote of their peers. The winners will be announced Thursday, November 2nd. Justin Steele – was nominated for the Outstanding Pitcher Award along with Zach Gallen and Blake Snell in the NL. So those three NL pitchers going up against each other. Cody Bellinger was nominated for Comeback Player Award along with Michael Conforto and Bryce Harper. And then finally, Ian Happ was nominated for the Marvin Miller Man of the Year Award along with Francisco Lindor and Marcus Simeon. The award goes to the player who, quote, whose leadership most inspires others to higher levels of achievement. So, you know, hey, Good for Ian on that. I know he's been a union rep and and done a lot of things, so I, I see that. So I think that those yeah, awards. He seems also- like a regular, overall regular, great guy. He's a regular guest on the uh, Bernstein and Holmes show once a week, and he's always uh, always shows up and always very good in on those hits. Yeah. So hopefully all guys, all those guys win for the Cubs. Love to see him collect some more awards. Dustin, we speculated about this before, but now Patrick Mooney, the athletic is reporting that Craig Breslow, senior vice president of pitching and assistant general manager has interviewed for Boston's head of baseball ops. Um, Breslow has done an incredible job with the Cubs pitching infrastructure. This would be a big promotion clearly. And his family is all located in Boston. He graduated from Yale and then he was with the Boston Red Sox front office when they won a world series in 2013. There are a lot of candidates. That is clearly the premier job available right now. Yeah, but there's been a lot of people who have turned that job down, which is also interesting. Yep, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, sometimes you turn it down if you don't think you have a really good shot, rather, so that way it doesn't look like you lost out on the on the mm-hmm. opportunity. I think that may have something to do with it, um, but we'll see what happens. You know, it's it's one of those dual-edged shorts where you want the best for Craig and and to be able to reach his goals and aspirations, but at the same time, you'd ha- hate to lose a guy. I mean, when you take a look at a lot of what the best of what hap- is what happening in the farm system, the pitching has got to be up there. The stories this year of Assad and Justin Steele and and, and um, Adbert Alzali and all these guys, right. you know, it's just uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Wicks all these guys that came up and were able to produce, you just have all this pitching happening. You'd hate to lose that guy. we got some bad news on uh, Michael Fulmer. We're not going to see him next year. Yeah, Michael Fulmer is out of the, for the 2024 se- uh, season. He was diagnosed. He had UCL surgery on his right elbow. And so, you know, they kept saying forearm strain. And whenever you hear forearm strain, the first thing you always think of is Tommy John surgery. Uh, this isn't Tommy John surgery, but it's a similar type of process as far as uh, the UCL is concerned. So um, just absolutely bad, bad news for the Cubs and bad news for Michael Fulmer. Yeah, not good, but at least uh, there's really no at least. I was going to try to say, well, <laughs> at least now we know why you couldn't get the job done at the end. And um, hopefully it gets to extend his career by having the surgery and getting, you know, basically a year off of pitching. Now, some disturbing news out of the Dominican Republic. There's been a series of robberies. Hector Gomez reported 16 of the 30 MLB uh, academies in the Dominican Republic have been robbed, including the Cubs. The Cubs have a phenomenal facility in the Dominican. It's uh, right outside the capital city of Santo Domingo. Um, It has four fields, three of grass, one of artificial turf, four batting cages, eight bullpens, a weight room, and two locker rooms. What were they stealing, Crowley? Like, are they stealing equipment? I mean, I'm guessing there's not like cash on hand. These aren't banks. I mean, what what were they robbing? Anything of value would be my guess. I would wonder if they would even, you know, uh, I I saw some video that Hector put out of, of gunmen out there, you know, maybe try to see whatever money they could get. Uh, who knows, you know, whatever they have a value that they, that they may have taken, but this is clearly looks like it's like a, some sort of organizational job. Yeah, if well, you, as long you, as everybody was safe, everything else can be replaced. replaced. I'm sure they yeah. all have insurance on all that kind of stuff. So, 
Yep, and so that that's that that'll round out the Cub news right now. So hopefully they find the guys that did this and 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 take care of the situation. Well, we've got playoff baseball to review, Crowley. The LCSs are well underway. In fact, one of them is happening just as we are recording this podcast. And later tonight, we've got uh, game four of the ALCS. Yeah, on our last podcast on Monday, we knew the Rangers were up one to nothing against the Astros and the Phillies and Diamondbacks didn't even start yet. They started the night that we recorded, but now we're in full swing. The Rangers were able to take a commanding two to two game to none lead by winning both games at Minute Maid Park. Framber Valdez gave up five singles and committed an error in the first inning. Texas was quickly up for nothing. Joseph Heim homered off Valdez in the third, and Framber's day was done going 2.2 innings, giving up four runs on seven hits. Nate Evaldi went six innings and gave up three runs, one on uh, uh, gave, one to Jordan Alvarez in the second and one to Alex Bregman in the fourth. Former Cub Eraldis Chapman gave up a home run to Alvarez, his second of the game, but the Rangers would go on to win game two, five to four. Now, the next game on Monday night was at Citizens Bell Ballpark. What an atmosphere, Dustin. What and an atmosphere, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> The Phillies crowd was riled up. It was a battle of the Zacks as Philly had Zach Wheeler taking on Arizona's Zach Gallen. Former Cub Kyle Schwarber hit a leadoff home run 420 feet. That was Schwarber's fourth career postseason leadoff home run, breaking a tie with Derek Jeter and Jimmy Rollins for the most ever. I mean, those are two. Also, also not only a leadoff home run, a first pitch leadoff home run. Yes. And so after Trey Turner lined out, Bryce Harper homered on his 31st birthday and former Cub Nick Castellanos hit a solo shot in the second to make it three to nothing. Arizona tried to come back. Gerardo Perdomo hit a two run blast off Wheeler to make it five to two. And Alex Thomas would hit a sack fly to make it five to three. But that's as close as the D-backs would get. Game two was not close at all, Dustin. Once again, the Phillies got a solo home run in the first to put him in front this time. Trey Turner with a home run to make it one to nothing. Then in the third, Kyle Schwarber, who homered the night before, hit his second home run of the postseason to make it two to nothing. It would stay two nothing. It was close until the sixth inning when the Phillies erupted for four runs in the sixth and four runs in the seventh. Kyle Schwarber would hit his second home run of the game to, in the sixth to make it three to nothing. JT Real Muto doubled the score, two more to make it five to nothing. And Brandon Marsh doubled to put Philadelphia up six nothing. Alex Bohm, JT Real Muto, and Nick Castellanos will make it 10 to nothing. And that's the final score. Dustin, you said coming into the NLCS that you figured that you're only going to keep Schwarber down for so long. And now you're talking about three home runs in two games. Yeah, we talked about in the last podcast just how miserable Cub fans could be seeing these guys in this lineup that used to be in the Cubs lineup. And then, of course, you've got a guy who named his dog uh, Wrigley, and uh, he never became a Cub. Yeah, and you know they just—I keep hearing—you know—a beer league softball team is what they look like—a bunch of scruffy guys. But they absolutely are just attacking this postseason with no fear at all, and it—it it, it is fun to watch right now. Yes, it is, no doubt about it. Got on Wednesday night, Schwarber. Yeah, on Wednesday, you know, I, I'm going to the uh, Chicago Spectacular, which is actually held in um, Rosemont in November, mm. and they stopped selling tickets for Kyle Schwarber, who's scheduled to be there uh, and, might not and, be able to make it huh yeah. well no he's going to be able to make it but there there's basically what they said is that at, billy's tickets were priced to, subject to change in case they won the world series and then when things started getting really crazy they just put a stop on the sale so luckily i got my tickets before nice. they did that so hopefully i'll be seeing schwarbs in uh early november well not early, the second week in november first second week in november but we'll see on Wednesday night, the Rangers took their 7-0 postseason record back to Arlington, but that incredible streak came to an end. Max Scherzer pitched for the first time since September 12th. He was put on the IL after that start with the right Terra's major muscle strain. Dustin, I talked about this in segment one you know, with Marcus Stroman. Yeah. These guys are just, you know, they don't have anywhere to warm up, any way to ramp up. They don't can't go to AAA. That's done. So basically they just come in and 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 you know. It didn't go well. He pitched four innings, gave up five runs on five hits. Uh, you know, the the Astros scored three in the second. Jose Altuve hit a solo home run in the third. That home run puts him 25 career postseason home runs. Isn't that Tying, crazy? That's yeah, crazy. That ties Manny Ramirez for the most postseason home runs. He has 10 home runs in the LCS, tied with Kyle Schwarber and Albert Pujols for second most of all time just trailing Manny again, Manny being Manny. 
Rookie third uh, third baseman Josh Jung tried to get the Rangers back in this one. He hit two home runs, one in the fifth, two two-run home runs, one in the fifth and one in the seventh, but it wasn't enough as the Astros spoiled the homecoming party for the Rangers, eight to five. Uh, like you said, the Phillies are playing tonight to try to um, make it a 3-0 deficit versus the Diamondbacks. Dustin, I don't know if you saw this. Tickets for game three of the NLCS in Arizona are going on the resale market the cheapest, $19. Wow, is that embarrassing. Wow, is that embarrassing. But that's what happens when the game starts at two-something local time during the week. Understand that. I, I understand. I mean, that. that wouldn't happen in Chicago, but this is Arizona. It's different. You, you, but you got to be kidding me. I mean, when was the last time they were in the postseason? I think we said what, 2014 or something like that. They're back. They're 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 four games from the World Series. I know it doesn't look great right now, but you're telling me that you that's can't definitely get more... part of it too, right? That's definitely part of it too. Yeah, but but you, you can't tell me that it's worth nineteen dollars. I mean, nineteen dollars is, is you crappy know, like what fans. You paid, like a, a May game in Wrigley. They're crappy fans. Fans of the Diamondbacks, they're crappy fans. So we have the uh, we have the Rangers up two to one against Houston. Do you see the series in Houston getting tied up? I mean, in Arlington right now, getting tied up, or do you? I feel- think it's going to get interesting. I mean, I don't. I don't think this is going to end. I think this is this this has a six or seven game thing written all over, and I still think Texas will prevail. Do you think Arizona gets one game from the Phillies? I do. I think they get one. I think it's really hard to sweep. But, you know, if they don't get it today, if they don't get it in game three, then I think the Phillies go for blood in game four. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And, again, you have uh, Zach Allen and Merrill Kelly are two really good pitchers, but they don't really have much behind that. So, uh, you know, th- that's really tough to be down 2 nothing after your aces just went. And, and, and the way that these Phillies are just slugging, I mean, good Lord. Yes, they are. Like you said earlier, a beer league softball team. That's what they look like. Yeah, it's been fun, though. And hopefully, like I said, you know, I, I, I'm still hoping for a Rangers Phillies postseason now. Uh, we'll see what happens, though. Me, too. All right, Crowley, that's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and of course, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow on all the socials Facebook, Instagram. Of course, we're on Twitter. You can email us, fly the W670 at gmail.com. And you can watch this show on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Crowley, have a great weekend. We'll get back to recapping the LCSs and more Cubs news on Monday. We'll be watching what Schwarber, Kimbrell, and Castellano still do. And even though they're wearing a different uniform, we'll still say, Go Cubs! It's all over.